On September 8th, 2022, Elizabeth II, Queen of the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the Bahamas, Grenada, Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, Tuvalu, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Belize, Antigua and Barbuda, and St. Kitts and Nevis, died at Balmoral Castle in Aberdeenshire, Scotland, at the age of 96. Queen Elizabeth's death brought an end to the longest reign of a monarch in British history, which lasted an astounding 70 years. Unsurprisingly, the Queen's death was followed by an outpouring of sympathies from world leaders and other public figures. Her state funeral became the 10th most watched televised event in British history, with over 26 million viewers in the UK tuning in to watch the Queen be laid to rest. However, not all evaluations of Queen Elizabeth following her death were positive. Numerous academic figures, particularly those from countries that were formerly colonies of the British Empire, slammed the late Queen for her connections to colonialism and imperialism, even though her reign oversaw the decolonization of much of the empire. Other posthumous criticisms of Queen Elizabeth were based on fundamental opposition to the British monarchy, which is fairly unsurprising considering that a slight majority of young adults in the UK now favor a Republican government rather than a monarch. And of course, just like in recent years, Queen Elizabeth has caught a lot of flack for the royal family's allegedly hostile treatment of Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, the wife of Elizabeth's son, Prince Harry, Duke of Sussex. In March of 2021, the couple gave a televised interview in which they accused several members of the British royal family of, among other things, making racist comments towards Meghan due to her biracial background. Although the Queen was not included in these accusations, she has faced scrutiny for potentially turning a blind eye to the hostility towards her daughter-in-law. Something interesting that is not often talked about, however, is that 20 years ago, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex would not have even been allowed to get married in the first place. There were numerous reasons why some stalwarts objected to the marriage of Prince Harry and Meghan, be it that the latter is American, a commoner, or biracial. None of these traits, however, are inherently antithetical to the Church of England, of which the British monarch is the supreme governor. The problem would instead lie in the marriage history of the Duchess of Sussex, born Rachel Meghan Markle. For context, in 1534, King Henry VIII established the Church of England and declared it independent of papal authority after Pope Clement VII refused to annul his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. The Church of England was designed to be more or less identical to the Catholic Church, just with the British monarch as the head of the church instead of the Pope, so that Henry VIII could annul his own marriage and marry Anne Boleyn. Henry VIII then proceeded to flip the proverbial middle finger at everyone else by decreeing that nobody else could remarry after divorcing while their former spouse was still alive. As a result, for almost five centuries, the Church of England did not recognize such marriages. This takes us to the 2018 marriage of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. 
Five years prior, in 2013, Markle had divorced her first husband, Trevor Angleson, who was still alive at the time of her second marriage. So, you may ask, how was she allowed to marry within the Church of England, especially considering that her new husband's mother was the supreme governor of said church? Well, in 2002, the governing council of the Church of England reluctantly agreed to recognize divorce as a reality of some marriages, allowing divorcees to remarry within the church even if their first spouses were still alive. As a result, the marriage of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle was the first time that the Church of England gave its blessing to a wedding between a royal and a divorcee. The last British royal to marry a divorced American commoner, however, was not as fortunate. And oh yeah, he was the king. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 73rd episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara, Lisa Chase, and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. Bessie Wallace Warfield was born on June 19, 1896, in Blue Ridge Summit, Pennsylvania. Blue Ridge Summit is a very small village tucked away in the Appalachian Mountains, most popular among tourists from Baltimore, Maryland, so her parents were, unsurprisingly, Baltimoreans. During Wallace's childhood, she and her family moved back to Baltimore, where she would spend most of her childhood. In 1916, Wallace married U.S. Navy pilot Earl Winfield Spencer Jr. at the age of 20. Eleven years later, however, the two divorced, with Wallace citing her husband's alcoholism as a contributing factor. Wallace was also rendered infertile during this marriage, and although some have speculated that this was due to a botched abortion she received after having an affair with Benito Mussolini's son-in-law, this was never actually confirmed. In 1928, a year after her first divorce, Wallace married Ernest Simpson, an American-born shipping executive from a prominent British Jewish shipbroking family. The couple moved to London after getting married, but they soon experienced financial troubles following the 1929 stock market crash. As the Great Depression worsened and the Simpsons struggled to maintain their high standard of living, their marriage began to fall apart. It was around this time that, by way of a mutual friend, Wallace was introduced to Edward, Prince of Wales, the son of King George V of the United Kingdom. For the next three years, the young prince would aggressively court the American debutante. Around the time of early 1934, 
It is believed that Wallace Simpson became the mistress of Edward, Prince of Wales. Quickly, Edward became infatuated with Wallace. To quote Edward's official biographer, he became slavishly dependent on her. Edward's father, King George V, however, did not share the same love for his son's mistress. The British royal family was heavily displeased with the relationship due to Wallace's previous divorce. Nevertheless, the relationship continued, and on January 20th, 1936, King George V died from sepsis complications in Norfolk, England. The next day, Edward was crowned King Edward VIII while watching from his bedroom window with Wallace at his side. Edward VIII would serve as king for less than a year, during which time he broke custom by having his portrait face left on coins in order to show the part in his hair. Additionally, a Scottish social worker attempted to assassinate Edward VIII in July of 1936, but he was subdued before his gun could be fired. Even with such monumental occurrences at hand, it became clear that his mind was less on his royal duties and more on his American mistress. This was confirmed in November of 1936 when Wallace filed for divorce from her husband and Edward informed British Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin that he intended to marry her. Baldwin told him this was a non-starter, as did Archbishop of Canterbury Cosmo Gordon Lang. As the British monarch is supposed to be the supreme governor of the Church of England, these figures agreed that it would be improper of the king to marry a divorcee especially one who had now been divorced twice. Therefore, had Edward remained king, the Church of England would not have recognized his marriage. Consequently, on December 10, 1936, Edward VIII abdicated after spending 326 days as King of the United Kingdom. He stated the next day in a radio broadcast, quote, I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. Following his abdication, Edward was given the title of Duke of Windsor by his successor and brother, King George VI. Although the Church of England officially refused to sanction Edward's marriage to Wallace Simpson, one Anglican priest named Robert Anderson Jardine agreed to perform the marriage, although it would come at the cost of Jardine's ecclesiastical career. On June 3, 1937, the couple's wedding took place at Chateau de Condé, near Tours, France, and Wallace was given the title of Duchess of Windsor. The Duke and Duchess of Windsor continued to live in France, and in October of 1937, they were invited by the German labor front to visit Nazi Germany. The British government strongly advised against this idea, believing it would be in poor taste, considering that it was Nazi Germany and all, but Edward believed that he could help broker a lasting non-aggression pact between Germany and the UK. On October 11, 1937, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor arrived in Berlin, kicking off their tour. They visited ammunition factories, viewed an opera by Richard Wagner, and had afternoon tea with Joseph Goebbels, Hermann Göring, Rudolf Hess, Joachim von Ribbentrop, and Albert Speer. 
on October 22, 1937, the final day of the visit, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor met Adolf Hitler, during which time Hitler reportedly praised the Duchess, saying, quote, she would have made a good queen. The trip was widely seen as a national embarrassment for the British, who were already struggling to figure out how to deal with the rise of fascism in Europe. Then-MP Winston Churchill, who had previously defended Edward's marriage to Wallace, slammed the Duke for trying to form a relationship with Hitler. Due to outrage from the American labor movement, the Duke and Duchess's planned visit to the U.S. was subsequently canceled. This was also in part because the FBI compiled a decent amount of evidence that the Duchess was a Nazi sympathizer. She was even rumored to have had an affair with Joachim von Ribbentrop. In August of 1940, Edward, Duke of Windsor, was appointed governor of the Bahamas, likely just to get him and his wife out of Europe and decrease the chances of them collaborating with the Nazis. Upon moving to Nassau, however, Wallace, Duchess of Windsor, reportedly hated the archipelago. She regularly sent epithet-riddled letters to her aunt expressing her disgust with the local population, perhaps unsurprisingly considering she grew up in Jim Crow-era Maryland. At the same time, the Duchess was lambasted by the British media for her near-constant shopping trips in Florida while Britain was being bombed into the ground and was on the verge of starvation. The couple's Nazi connections followed them well into the war, and in 1943, Charles Bedal, a French-American friend of the Duke and Duchess who lived in Hoboken, New Jersey, was arrested on charges of spying for Nazi Germany. Bedal would go on to commit suicide in his Miami jail cell in February of 1944. Following the war, the Duke and Duchess moved back to France. In 1965, the Duke reportedly told a friend, quote, I never thought Hitler was such a bad chap. His health, which had already been failing, started to decline rapidly over the next few years. On May 28, 1972, Edward, Duke of Windsor, died of throat cancer at his home in Paris at the age of 77. Following her husband's death, the Duchess became a recluse, and she soon started suffering from dementia. By 1980, she was bedridden and unable to speak. Six years later, on April 24, 1986, Wallace, Duchess of Windsor, died at the age of 89 in the same Paris home her husband had died in 14 years prior. Although she is not remembered in the most fond manner by most British people today, the Duchess undoubtedly set the stage for the post-war British monarchy through her marriage to Edward VIII. Following Edward's abdication, his reluctant brother, George VI, became king. He subsequently had to lead the UK through World War II and the breakup of much of the British Empire, which took a major toll on his health. George VI died in February of 1952, aged only 56 years old. He was succeeded by his 25-year-old daughter, Elizabeth Alexandra Mary, later coronated as Elizabeth II, and so began the longest reign of a monarch in British history.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I thought it was very timely considering the recent passing of the Queen, and I hope you think so as well. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.